Hey everyone, welcome to this week's podcast. This is another episode of Unhurried Grace, and I'm talking about finding hope in the midst of uncertainty. Before I jump in, I wanted to invite you all to subscribe to my website. If you do that, you will receive all of the uh, first notifications about incentives and bonuses when it comes to my new book, Four Hour School Day, that's coming out in June. Um, I'm really excited about this book and I'm looking forward to seeing what God does with it. But if you're here for the first time, you might not know, um, unlike the rest of my listeners who hear this every single week, that I'm a wife to one and a mom to eight and a nana to seven. I've been married to Daryl for 31 years and uh, um, just so glad that I get to wake up every day and be his wife and uh, these kids who have grown up and uh, I'm very proud of them. I'm I'm thrilled with the people that they've become, and uh, I'm just thankful. I I love being a mom. I love being a wife. I love being a homemaker. Um, but I will say that over the last year, um, there's a lot of things that sort of got turned upside down with all that's gone on. And uh, so I written three uh, workshop sessions. Um, like workshop sessions or I don't know what you want to call them. Anyway, talks um, that I gave recently at a, um, it was a one day women's conference. And it was in response actually to a a question that I had asked my audience. Um, I had asked all of you, uh, what are you struggling with the most in the midst of all that's gone on over the last, you know, little over a year? And it was uh, struggling with uh, uncertainty and with loneliness. And so those were kind of the top two things. And so uh, anyway, long story short, God gave me uh, some things to share and I'm sharing them from the talks that I did at this one day event because uh, you actually were all the, you all were the first ones to let me know that these were your struggles. And so I want to make sure that I am bringing us you know, some hope and some encouragement that God has laid on my heart to share um, so that you can uh, just find the Lord in the midst of all of this. You know, there's been just so much going on and we just need to be just really well connected to him. And so that's my hope and prayer. So we ended the last um the last one in this series. So the last, the last podcast, the unhurried, unhurried grace podcast was on, uh, finding hope in the midst of uncertainty, sort of part one. And this is part two. And we ended the last one talking about where we're going to locate this hope because we wanted to really talk about what What about our pain and suffering now? We know we have lots of great things to look forward to as believers when it comes to the afterlife, but what about now? How do we find hope that we need now in the midst of uncertainty? We start by locating this hope. So that's what we're going to talk about today. Where does this confident, expectant hope um, that is mentioned in the Bible come from? Where does it come from? That's how the Bible describes faith is confident expectation. So we're asking, where does this come from? Well, it comes very simply from a relationship with Christ through the presence of the promised Holy Spirit as well, and the word of God actively working in our hearts to help us put our full trust in Christ. So we've got this relationship with Christ. We've got the 
presence of the Holy Spirit to help help activate the Word of God in our lives. And we've got the Word of God, right? These are where we find this hope, okay? Romans 15, 13 says, I pray that God, and here's how he's described, the source of hope. There's the answer, guys. It's not out there in the world. It's not... It's not on social media. It's not on the internet. God is our source of hope. It says, I pray that God, the source of hope, will fill you completely with joy and peace because you trust in him. Then you will overflow with confident hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. Do you see what's going on there? So we know God's a source of hope. So we trust in him. He gives us joy and peace. And in addition to that, causes us to overflow with more confident hope. So it just feeds into more and more and more confidence and hope as we walk in obedience to him and are trusting him. So um, our hope comes from trusting him and knowing that he is enough. Romans 8, 24 and 25 says we were given this hope when we were saved and we continue to walk that out in our Christian journey. So this was given to us at the very beginning, right when we were saved initially, and we continue to walk this hope out in our Christian journey. Now the enemy's going to like tempt us and try to get us to walk away from that, to be distracted from it, but we need to not allow him to do that because our hope always goes back to our salvation. That confidence um, that our sins are forgiven, right? That is what our salvation is about. Confidence that our sins are forgiven God is, and that God is working to make us more like him and that we are promised heaven and life eternal with him when we die. But we are also filled with hope, knowing that he has a purpose and a plan for our lives right now, even in the midst of uncertainty. Jeremiah 29, 11 says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a future and a hope. How do we continue to be filled with hope in the midst of the pain and the raw emotions and the uncertainty? Well, um, Years ago, when our youngest was born, he had a major heart defect. He had transposition of the greater arteries and two holes in his heart. And this was something we didn't know about until after he was born. It felt like we'd been hit by a freight train. We had seven other children at home. I spent two weeks at the hospital with Silas initially. He had an open heart surgery at three days old. He was uh, on the heart-lung machine for about four hours. He was in surgery for six and a half. He was six pounds, five ounces. So just this teeny tiny little thing with a heart the size of a walnut. And it was just unbelievable to think that he was going to be opened up and they were going to stop his heart and they were going to work on his heart. But it is the only thing that would save his life. And so we were in a situation that was clearly something that God put in front of us that we needed to walk through. And we had seven children. Like I mentioned before, they were 13 and under, down to two years old. Our home was an hour away from the hospital. So once I had spent the first two weeks at the hospital, I drove back and forth after that. Um, He was there for a full two months. 
We didn't know how long he was going to be there. It was a roller coaster ride. Um, they said maybe three weeks, and it it turned into two months. And so here we are, um, just trying to uh, keep some sort of routine, some sort of normalcy with the kids. But nothing's normal, right? I would get up in the morning, I would be with the kids in the morning, and then I would get in the car and I would sob all the way into the hospital because I had to leave those seven kids behind. And then I would get to the hospital, not know what in the world I was going to be walking into. Sometimes I would get a phone call along the way that would tell me what was going on. And uh, and it was sometimes good and sometimes not good. And um, and so I just had to deal with, um, with whatever came along that day. And so when I got there, when I got there, um, I never knew what I was going to be looking at, what I was going to be facing. And so I just, um, it was just, like I said, it was a roller coaster ride. And sometimes I would get a phone call from the doctor and the doctor would say, you know, what part of the roller coaster do you want to be on today? And I would say, well, I'd actually really like to get off the roller coaster. And he'd laugh and tell me what was going on because uh, Silas had a lot of obstacles to get over and uh, unexpected things, things they didn't know. They didn't know what was going on with him. So there's a lot of uncertainty surrounding this situation. And so I would... um I was constantly struggling with the uncertainty of it all. And when I left Silas every evening to go home to to be with my family again, like around dinner time, um, I would cry all the way home because I had to leave him at the hospital. And so this was this was my life for weeks on end. And I just cried out to God in my pain and my helplessness. Um and there were a couple of moments along the way where God was calling me to totally surrender Silas to him and literally requiring me to say out loud that I was giving him back to God. And God, if you want to take him, you can take him. And you don't know how hard that was for me to do because they weren't just words. They had to come from my heart. I don't, I, I'm not a liar. I don't speak lies. I try not to speak lies. I speak from my heart. And so I knew if I was going to say those words, I had to mean them. And I did. And I and I cried out to the Lord. And, and it happened a couple of times. And both times God said, um, it's okay. You're going to keep him, but you're going to have to be patient. And so I learned very in a very deep and meaningful way to pray the prayer that Jesus prayed in the garden. And this is something God reminded me of along the way. Not my will, but thine be done. And he would faithfully settle my spirit each and every time. And what I learned in that situation was I had three choices. I could either resist completely, which was not an option for me. I was not going to resist God. I was not going to rebel against God. But the one that was tempting is just resigning myself. That was the second choice. So I could resist or I could resign, which is not the same thing as trusting. And it still leads to bitterness because essentially I'm kind of in a self-pity mode when it comes to resigning. In my definition of resigning in my mind and heart, when I'm when I'm using that word, I'm thinking, well, God is sovereign. He is, you know, more powerful than me. I don't have any control. I don't have anything to say about this. So I'm just going to have to do whatever he does, whatever he you know, whatever he plans. And I, I don't, he, he doesn't, you know, kind of he doesn't care about me, kind of that sort of thing, kind of a woe is me, self-pity thing. That was not, 
I, I just, that could not be an option for me. I decided as I, as I thought about that, I thought, no, I'm not going to just resign myself to it. My other third choice was to fully embrace or yield fully to what was happening, to what God was doing on this roller coaster ride. Every part and parcel of it, I needed to yield it to him and say, yes, Lord, not my will, but yours be done. And it literally felt like free falling sometimes where I felt like I was at the edge of the airplane ready to jump out and I'm hanging on to God's hand and I'm saying, okay, here we go. And I would just jump. That's how it felt every time I had to surrender over and over and over again. And oh, how I wanted assurances that everything was going to be okay. But most of the time I was faced with the circumstances that screamed otherwise. What I realized was that my uncertain circumstances were a call to wait on God. I had to choose to trust him. And that was not a one-time choice. I had to make it over and over and over again as I waited on him. So when we talk about waiting on God, we often imagine ourselves as passive, sort of like that resigning thing that I mentioned earlier. But waiting on God requires active faith because while we are waiting, we are putting our confidence in him. We are placing our hope in him. It is a posture of the heart. In the midst of this, God brought what I needed when I needed it most. I recall the poem that I had heard and managed to track it down the recording of it because back then I wasn't, we weren't really on the internet that much at that point of the game. And so I had to track down this little cassette tape and play it and rewind it and write everything down and rewind and write some more. Um, but as I took the time to write it down, and um, it was like balm to my heart. So I want you, if you feel like you are in a time in your own life where things are uncertain and you're waiting on God, I want you to let these words sink in. And if you are able to right now, maybe you're not able to stop right now and really close your eyes and take this in, I would encourage you to pause and do this when you can do that. And I want you to let this poem speak to your specific time of waiting seems like we're always waiting on God for something in our lives. And so I want you to think as I read through this poem, I want you to let the Lord minister to the specific thing or things that you are waiting on him for. The poem is called Wait by Russell Kelfer. Desperately, helplessly, longingly, I cried. Quietly, patiently, lovingly, God replied. I pled and I wept for a clue to my fate, and the master so gently said, wait. Wait? You say, wait, my indignant reply. Lord, I need answers. I need to know why. Is your hand shortened, or have you not heard? By faith I have asked, and I'm claiming your word. My future in all to which I relate hangs in the balance, and you tell me, wait? I'm needing a yes, a go-ahead sign, or even a no to which I can resign. You promised, dear Lord, that if we believe, we need but to ask and we shall receive. And Lord, I've been asking, and this is my cry. I'm weary of asking. I need a reply. Then quietly, softly, I learned of my fate. As my master replied again, wait. So I slumped in my chair, defeated and taught, and grumbled to God. So I'm waiting. For what? He seemed then to kneel, and his eyes met with mine, and he tenderly said, I could give you a sign. I could shake the heavens and darken the sun. I could raise the dead and cause mountains to run. I could give all you seek, 
and pleased you would be. You'd have what you want, but you wouldn't know me. You'd not know the depth of my love for each saint. You'd not know the power that I give to the faint. You'd not learn to see through the clouds of despair. You'd not learn to trust just by knowing I'm there. You'd not know the joy of resting in me when darkness and silence are all you can see. You'd never experience the fullness of love when the peace of my spirit descends like a dove. You would know that I give and I save for a start, but you'd not know the depth of the beat of my heart. The glow of my comfort late into the night, the faith that I give when you walk without sight, the depth that's beyond getting just what you ask from an infinite God who makes what you have last. You'd never know, should your pain quickly flee, what it means that my grace is sufficient for thee. Yes, your dearest dreams overnight would come true, but oh, the loss if you missed what I'm doing in you. So be silent, my child, and in time you will see that the greatest of gifts is to truly know me. And though oft my answers seem terribly late, my most precious answer of all is still wait. We wait on him because he is enough. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for reminding us the value of waiting on you. Waiting on you is never a waste of time. God, help us to slow our hearts, to not rush into the next thing and the next thing and the next thing, God, but to slow our hearts and to walk in step with you. Lord, we thank you for your goodness to us. We thank you that your love is everlasting, God, that we can find hope in you in the midst of uncertainty. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.